Well, the record label called. The year was 1995, and the record label called me and my buddy up and said we're interested. That phone call was the start of a journey that I know my family and my songwriting partner's family will never forget. We were in the Northwest, and the label said, come on out. And so we packed up everything we had. We didn't have any jobs or anything lined up in Tennessee. But we thought, let's take a risk. So we got our vehicles ready. We camped at KOAs. We saw lots of what they call, I think, the flyover states. Never seen that much corn in my life. We really hadn't left the Northwest hardly ever. And so we're making our way across the country very slow. It took us about three or four days to finally land in Music City, USA. And that beginning record deal led to other deals. And, by 19, and this is a lot of work, too. I'm betraying a lot of work that happened. We played a lot of shows for free, me and my, my band, my buddies. And uh, by 1998, we had charted on two different Christian radio charts as an independent band, which we thought was pretty cool. You know, Amy Grant knew our names. We thought that was pretty cool. She probably doesn't anymore. But anyway, then it felt really good. And uh, by, uh, yeah, late 98, we had signed a couple of artist deals and our first publishing deal with a, a label on Music Row in downtown Nashville. And even though the career was fairly short-lived, some of you know this story, the career was short-lived. We, we, we used to say, the joke was, we were almost famous on a number of occasions. And uh, that we raked in tens of dollars. That was the joke we would tell ourselves. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that adventure for anything. Who, who gets to say my job was to, to wake up at a real early hour, like 10, because in Music City, nothing happens till after lunch. You may have the songwriting session set for 10 or 11, but when you get to the session, the first things you say to each other is, well, we should probably grab, grab lunch. And so then we would go grab lunch, and we wouldn't actually get to work till about 2 o'clock. But my job was writing songs for a publishing company. And both of our children were born in Tennessee. We were there for about eight years. And yes, we, we never made it big. We never made a big splash in the music industry. But I tell you, we have so many good memories from that time of our lives when we were willing to take a risk. That first deal fell through. It was a bad deal anyway. It's kind of a typical story in Nashville. But I, I wouldn't trade that adventure for the world. The friends that we made, the, the things we learned. I really feel like Jackie and I, because of that adventure, we kind of grew up. We were a long way from family, 2,000 miles, and that's still a bone of contention because both of our kids were born in Tennessee hospitals a long way from Oregon. That's still an issue if you bring it up with my parents. Still a sore spot. How could you have your children in another state? But we wouldn't trade that adventure for the world. And I think about adventure. I think about mission and, and a noble quest. And maybe, maybe in your life you've been on, maybe, maybe not that sort of adventure, but maybe you've been on an adventure. And, and I think those stories inspire us. I mean, think about this. Tin Man, 
and the scarecrow and the lion, they got Dorothy home to Kansas. Or, or Captain Miller and his, his army buddies able to go and get Private Ryan back to the States. Or, or I don't know, Frodo Baggins and his, his, his crazy team were able to somehow destroy the ring in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. What are these? They're inspiring. They're, they're noble quests. They're being part of something greater. Being part of a, a greater narrative. Like a bigger picture. And I feel like that's why these stories inspire us. That's why adventures inspire us. They sell millions of books and, and fill movie theaters because we love the adventure. We love the idea that we're part of something much greater and much larger. Are you with me? These noble quests. And you might be thinking, okay, Ben, that's great. Thanks for the history lesson. Uh, what does this have to do with the Why Church thing? Why, I thought we are talking about church today. Why are we talking about adventures? Well, it, it is relevant. I'm glad you asked the question. But it is relevant as to why church. Because I believe church provides us with a pretty awesome mission to the world. Barna Research, which is a, a company that does research, they do surveys and things, and over the, the pandemic, well, they, they did some research before the pandemic, then kind of during the pandemic, then kind of in the aftermath. I guess we're in the kind of the, the aftermath of it. Is that what you call it, what, where we're at right now? And they've done research about, about specifically with people who attend church or say they go to church or people who say church is important. And they ask a bunch of questions. But a, a, the big one that I, I was interested in is why do you're asked the question, why do, why do you value church? That question went to a lot of different people. And why, why do you still value church after all this time? What, what's, what's it good for? What's it, how, how does it help you? And so people responded to that question. And a lot of people responded with, well, I value church because it, it, it makes me feel closer to God. Man, that's, that's, that's relevant. I, I see that. That when we're gathered like this, we, there's camaraderie, there's encouragement. I, I get that. So that's more of the experience, maybe a spiritual experience. So people answered that way. People also answered this way. I need to learn more about God. So I guess that would be more in the educational space. Like cognitively, you want to get more God information. And that's a good, that, that's a good thing. I mean, scripture can be difficult to navigate. So education's good. So other people answered it this way. The, the Bible says that I'm supposed to meet with other believers. So for some people, they feel like it's a, a matter of an obligation in some sense, not in a bad way, but just a sense of obedience, that being part of the gathering is a sense of obedience. And I, I understand that. I, get, I feel it when I'm not part of the gathering, so I, I get that. Uh, other people said um, that, that I, I've just always attended church. It's my habit. And that's why I will continue to go, even pandemic or not. They're going to just continue. That's my habit. That's my normal way that I start my week. And, you know, I lived in the South for a long time, and that's, that's kind of the South. I don't know if it's true anymore, but it was when we lived there that come Sunday morning, if you're a Southerner, you better be in church. Come after you. That's, and no matter where, you're, you're, you're there. Your butt's in the seat. That's what, the way it works. But for me, I was a little saddened by this statistic, that... When people were asked, why church? Only one in five answered this way. Because we're God's hands and feet in the world. And that 
speaks to mission. That speaks to this adventure we've been talking about. That speaks to what God wants us to do in the world. And so I, I was a little disheartened by that because I'm going to make the case today that I think we get to be part of the greatest mission on earth. One that brings living hope wherever we go. And whatever job or role we have, we get to bring that living hope right along with us. And that's the case that I'm, I'm going to make today. In this series, we've talked about, yes, why church? Well, we, it helps us grow spiritually. And that's more than just God information. That's also working together, loving one another, because uh, you don't learn patience and love and kindness unless you're uh, face-to-face with somebody else. And the church provides that. I think that's a great thing. The church also, as we said in week two, the church provides a place for deeper spiritual relationships, deeper relationships. Look, I, I coached baseball and soccer, football a lot, and I met parents and that sort of thing and the kiddos, but those relationships weren't super deep. And, uh, and the church provides, I think, almost the best place for deeper relationships. And we talked about that sometimes. That shows up in when you meet someone new and, and they don't even know you're part of a church or they don't even know you're Christian, sometimes you'll notice that you can tell someone might be a person of faith. You ever had that, op- you ever had that happen? Where you just, you sense, and not because they said anything either, you find that you're almost in sync. And that's the beauty of the, de- the depth of relationship So that was week two. Last week we talked about the idea that being part of a church family allows access to good pastoral care, to to shepherds who care for you that can provide some help when you're hurting, uh, some good advice sometimes. And and those are all true. But today I really want to hone in on the idea of mission, that Jesus has called us to go. In fact, when he spoke to his first followers, what did he say? Come, come. Sit in a chair and take notes. Is that what he said? Come and follow me. He called us to an adventure from the very beginning. And I want us to be reawakened this morning to what he has called us to. Because we have truly the missio Dei, the mission of God, that we get to bring living hope to the world. We get to present that. And that's a beautiful thing. So, hey, welcome. I'm Pastor Ben, if we haven't met yet. Glad you're here today, whether that be online. Hello, we see you. Uh, God can still do digital stuff. It's great. And in person, glad you're here. We are gathered like this, like Christ's followers all over the globe on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. Why? Because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and that tomb was empty. And it changed human history forever. That's why we gather like this. Uh, we're, We're one big dysfunctional family of faith gathering every week. So let's start it off right with a prayer, maybe a deep breath, one, two, three, deep breath. And let's lean in to pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for love and mercy and grace, but we also thank you for the mission you've called us to. It's an active living mission to bring your living hope of your son Jesus to the world. So Father, re-engage us, reawaken us this morning to that mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible or a device, I would love you to grab that and start finding the book of Matthew. And by the way, I'm super excited. For 2023, we're going to go through the entire gospel of Matthew. And I'm telling you, there is so much in that gospel that is just going to blow our minds. It's awesome. The Bible is the most hyperlinked book in the world. And we know what hyperlinks are in the internet world. It's amazing how many crosstalks go between the Old Testament scriptures, the New Testament scriptures. Can't wait. 
But we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to look at two GCs. So have your device ready. But let me just cue it up this way. The word that the New Testament uses for the church is ecclesia. You might have heard that word before. It's the called out ones. We're called out. And oftentimes that word was used in Greek culture to talk about people who were, had, a, had a similar mission, whether that had been a similar political mission or a similar societal mission. And the early church co-opted that word and said, actually, we're going to be the called out ones bringing hope and light to the world. And that word began to, to embody what these people were. And it was every tribe, tongue, and nation, a very diverse group, as the early church moved through the early Roman Empire. You see, and, and, and the early followers were Jewish. And when Jesus came, he said, I've come to fulfill it all. So people who were Jewish, they didn't stop being Jewish. They now had the fulfillment of everything they'd been waiting for. And they were excited. And then, as the early church expanded, people who weren't Jewish got to meet this this king of kings and lord of lords and this living hope. And, and they, didn't, they, they didn't have to become Jewish, but they got to accept the Savior and be part of that same beautiful, diverse group of people called the Ecclesia because they were the ones called out on mission to continue that mission to out, throughout all the world. And if you were here like in week two, we talked about historians think that within the first couple hundred years of the church being started, Upwards of 80% of the Roman Empire would have called themselves followers of the way of Jesus. Amazing to hear that. The early church took the mission seriously. And it was every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jew, Gentile, whatever you were, that Jesus was the living hope for each of us, every people group. And it was amazing. And those early Jews moved from synagogue on Saturday to the ecclesia gathered, gatherings on Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus commanded his followers. He said, I want to give you some marching orders. So in, in the book of Matthew, starting with chapter 22, and you've, you've probably heard these statements before. I'm, pro I'm guessing you already know them by heart. Maybe you do. If you're new to church, that's okay, but you might have heard these somewhere. In Matthew chapter 22, we have the first of the two GCs. You ever heard that, the GCs? First one is the greatest commandment which actually is two commandments, but they're rolled into one. It's all good. The greatest commandment, and then there's the great commission. Those are the two GCs, and these were the bedrocks, the foundation, kind of those early marching orders that the church of Jesus took seriously. So much so that look at how it impacted the Roman Empire within just a couple of hundred years. And that, by the way, without printed Bibles, without social media, without cool logos on their church sign, just followers of Jesus following the way, changed a whole group of people. Amazing. So the two GCs, the first one is this, and you know this one. Here we have Jesus quoting the Torah, quoting both Genesis 6 and Leviticus, I think, 18 or 19. And uh, we have this. Jesus was asked, what's the, greatest thing? what's the greatest commandments? And he says this in Matthew 22, verse 37 is where it starts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, some versions add also strength. That's a great thing, too. But love God with everything you got. And then Jesus tacks on a bonus, which is, and also love your neighbor, what does he say, as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments, 
depend all the law and the prophets and the writings, the entire, the whole thing, cover to cover, that covers it. So that's the first of the two GCs. That's the greatest commandments, okay, technical. And then we have the Great Commission, because they had those, so we know, okay, this is the sorts of people we ought to be. If we're acting like that, if we're loving our neighbor and we're loving God, that, those are signposts. These are little markers that the kingdom is here. And then they said, uh, well, well, then we need to, to go further than that. We want to just not just stay right here in Jerusalem around the temple area. That's all fine and good. But we want to carry this mission to the world. So Jesus' is a swan song. He kind of leaves the disciples and then the Holy Spirit comes. And in that exchange, Jesus gives them a final swan song statement in Matthew 28, which you probably also know. Matthew 28, starting with, what, verse 19, somewhere there. Go, therefore. Again, notice the action word. Not sit and take notes in a notebook. Although there's a place for that, okay. You can push back on me there. But he said go. He looked at his you know, disciples, they were by then a smelly football team of 12 or 11 and a lot of women and everything like that. And he says, looks at them, he says, go, take my word everywhere. And this is what he says, go therefore, make disciples of just one nation, all nations. The Greek there is, is really the word for uh, different uh, ethnic groups, the nations. That was the word for ethnic groups. So everywhere it went, all nations. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to observe all that I've commanded you. And, and behold, I'm going to be with you as you do this up until the end of the age. So what do we have? What are, this is a quiz for you now, you're welcome. The two GCs are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. You can add strength if you want. And then love your neighbor as yourself, Okay. Easy things to do. I mean, you'll knock those out in a couple days this week. Yeah. Some of you have difficult neighbors. I don't know. Okay, so that's the first GC. And then the second GC, the Great Commission, is to uh, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, teach them everything I've taught you, and I'm going to be with you as you do this to the end of the age. The early church, those early followers, took that to heart. And it transformed not just an empire. Again, without printed Bibles, without logos, without viral videos on TikTok, they took it to the, the, the world stage. And it changed human hearts. And it, some historians really believe that that early movement of both Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus shaped Western culture forever. That we're still living in that legacy. And we'll talk about that more, but they took this great co commandment and great commission to heart. And they began to, to show people living hope. And, and, and as that message went out, people were just cut to the heart. They, they wanted more of it. For, for not just Jewish followers, because soon after it got out of Jerusalem, there wasn't a lot of maybe Jewish strongholds. There were some synagogues here and there in the ancient Roman Empire, but mainly now you're, you're, getting, you're, you're getting in front of soldiers and politicians and marketplace people, and they all spoke Greek, and they probably you know, knew lots about the Greek gods and how, boy, if you're going to get any favor with the gods, you better cut yourself a whole bunch, and maybe that god will be nice to you. 
This is what they knew. And so as the early Christians started showing the living hope that God is not a God of the dead, he's a God of the living, it was transformative for people and they wanted more. So transformative that it began to change how they operated in life. I love what the, the, the well, he was first a disciple of Jesus, probably the most outspoken of the bunch. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. One of the original disciples of Jesus, he was always opening his mouth. I think he was smarter than we give him credit for, okay? But Peter started as a disciple, and then after the Great Commission, they were called to go. And the term there is the idea of a being apostle, right? So they were called to be an apostle. Now, so we have Peter riding toward the end of his life. He would end up eventually, according to tradition, give up his life for the gospel. And he says this in one of his last letters. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope. God is not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. There was a moment in Jesus' ministry where some of the religious leaders were trying to pin him down on something. They were trying to get him in some theological quandary. And they talked about, uh, and they, they brought up this weird scenario. And maybe you re remember the story. They came to Jesus and they said, hey, um, if, uh, if a woman who, who is married to this, this man, um, if, if some, for some reason the, the man dies, uh, and, and, and this man happened to have like six other brothers or seven other brothers. And, and uh, Jewish law would say, and I'm not even sure exactly the, how that worked, but to carry on the family line, uh, supposedly if you had a brother that wasn't married, he would then marry the gal and then you would have children and then the, the family name would be carried on. I get that. Our society is not quite like that. It's very patriarchal in a way. It's all kinds of things we can unpack there, but just the story. I don't want to lose the story. So basically they're trying to get him to, they're cornering him on eternity and heaven and hell, kind of getting into like spiritual realm, what happens after we die. And uh, so they said, well, what happens if, if the gal like marries one brother and then he dies and then he marries another brother and then he dies and it's just a really weird scenario. And so all the brothers die and then she finally dies. Whoosh. Okay. And so they're trying to pin him down. They said, so what, who is, who is she married to in the afterlife or whatever? And basically, Jesus gives them this sort of, have you never read the Bible? It's basically what he says. And these were Jewish leaders, so that would have been a bit of an insult. And he said, have you never read the scriptures? And he spoke about a time, I think, where Moses was, was having a conversation. And Moses says, uh, when he interacted with God, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they were alive. But Moses' words I am, the God, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who by that time had already physically died. And that's the, the answer that Jesus gives them. Our God is not a God of the dead. God is a God of the living. Because those who have gone before us, they're, they're, they're living with him. So there's this interaction. We could unpack all of that. But the idea is a living hope. And as this word went out into the ancient Roman Empire, it, it was transformative. Because no longer was this weird interaction with these fickle gods and so much death and bleeding and shrines and all of that. Now we, we get to hear of a living hope of a God who loved us 
before we were ever born. The minute we took our first breath, we were already loved by God. When people heard that message, they were like, this is great. We, we want more of that. And they took those great commission, great commandment words, and they put them into action, bringing living hope to the entire world. There's historians that have written about this. And one of them, Tom Holland, he's an author and writer. And he wrote a book, and, and I read it a couple years ago. It's called um, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And he spoke of the legacy and, and the influence that Judeo-Christian uh, history had on Western culture. And there's many writers that have tried to do this, tried to, to see how it affected uh, even the, the British Empire and then the United States and like how much legacy really transformed whole uh, cultures in, in Western culture. And, uh, and, and Tom Holland makes this case that, yes, the church hasn't always got it right. Okay? Can, we just, can we just admit that? The church through the ages hasn't always gotten it right. Christian leaders sometimes fail. Uh, these are true, but it's also true that God is good and does great things through his people. These, this is a tension that we hold, that, that there are people that do bad things, yes, but there are also great things that God has done through imperfect folks like you and I. And you think about what we could, and this is Tom Holland's case, he tries to make the case that Without Christianity, Judeo-Christian values, there's a lot of things that we would be missing. And he even writes like this. He said, like, what do we want to thank the church for? How about education for all? How about health care? How about abolishing slavery and ending apartheid? How about human rights, democracy, freedom, debt forgiveness, art, philosophy, and yes, science? Think about all the Christ followers who took the two GCs to heart and they brought living hope wherever they were at, whatever field they were in, and made a difference where they were. Western culture has much to thank for what Christ followers have been trying to do. It's amazing. And yes, we haven't always gotten it right, and we won't get it right forever. All right, there's going to be something else, but we have a lot to be thankful for. And I love what, if you ever go to Wikipedia, I realize it's not the number one source for things, but I wanted to read you a bit of the Wikipedia article that I, I found not too long ago about the influence of the church. All right, it's not the best source, I get that. It's more like this crowdfunded thing. You, you've been to it too. When I was in uh, seminary, they wouldn't allow us to quote Wikipedia because it, it, they couldn't control it, right? But let me just read a little bit of what, I love the way that Wikipedia puts this. Christianity played a role in ending practices such as human sacrifice, infanticide, polygamy. In fact, Christianity has worked hard to elevate the status of women worldwide. Christians have made a myriad of contributions to human progress in broad and diverse fields, both historically and in modern times. And, and uh, that article quotes this too. According to uh, the, the collection called The Hundred Years of Nobel Prizes, where they kind of uh, catalog who won Nobel Prizes, between 1901 and the year 2000, 65.4% of those who won the, the, the Nobel laureates claimed to follow Jesus. That's pretty significant. 
Now, yes, they might be from different tribes in Christianity. Maybe some were Catholic, and that's okay. But that's pretty, I think that's substantial, that they were contributing to the good. This is what Christ followers have been doing for centuries. So the question is, how about you? Like what, what part of the mission of God have you been carrying out in your life? And what impact are you making in whatever field God has called you to? And there are some fields it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. I know people, good friends of mine in the military, and sometimes that can be a real challenge to, to uphold the name of Jesus in some places like that. But what about you? Where are you at on the mission? If you were going to take the, like a missional temper, or the temperature gauge, where are you at on the mission? Are you warm for the mission of Jesus? Or maybe are you, are you cold and distant from it? God has wired, gifted, and even spiritually gifted every follower of Jesus for the mission. So what part do you get to play? What part, maybe, maybe you haven't really thought about it for a while. Maybe you're kind of sitting on some gifts and abilities that, that God has given you that you haven't utilized for the mission. I challenge and encourage you to jump in. Use the gifts because we're called on a mission. There was an old movie called The Blues Brothers. And they would say to each other and to people, we're on a mission, a mission from God. You are on a mission. When you said yes to Jesus, he called you to go. So wherever, whatever field you're in, whatever gifting you have, you're called to be on mission. And what to bring? Did he call you to bring a bunch of religion to people? He called you to bring a living hope. A living hope. A greater story we've been called to. We get a chance to fulfill that mission. We said a couple weeks ago that the church, if you think about it, is like the only organization in the world that exists for the people who aren't part of it and the people who aren't in the seats next to you. What part of the, the mission has God called you to? And as a church family, we got to ask that question. How is God using us missionally in this community? What is God doing through us? And, and anticipating that God's going to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. You and I have been called, we have been called to a mission We've been called to so much more than just living maybe 80 years and fog in a mirror uh, and maybe working and living and dying. We're called to more than that. We're called to more than a carbon footprint. We are called to be part of a mission. I want to be, I want my life to matter. Do you want your life to matter? Like at the end of the day, do you want your life to matter? Because I want mine to matter. And I hope you do too. That we get to be part of God's mission to the world to bring his living hope to, to people who are far from him. Look, we are in a town where there's quite a few church buildings if you drive around. And I've seen most of the church buildings in this town, including ours. If every seat was filled this morning in this town, we wouldn't even be reaching 10% of this town. You drive around on Sunday mornings, it's the quietest day of the week. We have been called to a mission. Not to shove religion down people's throats, but to show them living hope. That they were already loved from the time they were born. That is something I can get behind. That's a mission I can get about. We've been called to an adventure. Are you ready for an adventure? Here's the only thing I want to leave us with today. 
And maybe you need to put some post notes up. Maybe you need to print out those GCs we talked about, the great commandments and the great commandments. Maybe you need to print them out on your, your mirror when you look at them in the morning, on your dashboard of your car. You and I have been called to a mission. And so whatever it's going to take to keep Jesus' mission in your vision. Keep it within your vision. That no matter if you go to work at, at whatever field you're in, or wherever you happen to be, at the bowling alley, playing volleyball somewhere, coaching your, 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 your soccer team. Keep Jesus' vision, his mission in your vision. Keep that handy. Imagine living a life that matters. And I think we all want our life to matter. We don't get very, very many guarantees. Some of us are older in this room. We may not get so many more rotations around this planet or orbit. I totally hashed that. But we don't know how long we got. I want your life and I want my life to matter for whatever time I have left. We have been called to a greater mission than just existing. And Jesus wants us to use whatever talents and gifts and abilities he's given you for the good of reaching people who are far from, from him. So keep Jesus' mission in your vision. You know, and the thing is, God is still on the move. He's still wanting to do things through you and through me. And when we gather like this, you know, we can't help but get missional because we, we, we know God's doing stuff. So I encourage you this week, spend some time in prayer. How are you keeping his mission, the call, the, what you've been called to in your, your field of vision? What is he calling you to do? And together, what is he calling us to do? Because he's not done with us. Let's, let's pray. I want to pray. Before I get there, if, if, you, if you're here and you're, maybe you're new or you never plugged into a church family, we'd love to us to be your church home, or if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to the mission, you've never said yes to the adventure, you could jump in today. We would love to pray with you over that. Jesus is awesome. And uh, many of us have discovered him a long time ago, and we're still following him. And he's called us to go. Let me pray over us. Father, we thank you for your love, your faithfulness, your mercies that are new every morning. You called us to a mission. Uh, you've called us to, to bring living hope everywhere we go. And so, Father, I pray that as we plug into your church body here, that we would always be looking outward on, on how we can go and bring your living hope everywhere we go. Father, empower us for that. Encourage us uh, to not forget that, to always keep your mission in our view. And that, Father, until you come back, that we would be bringing a little bit of heaven right here to our right now. Bring your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.